Hello. Welcome to Cap Times Talks, a podcast bringing you smart conversations about big topics in the city of Madison. I'm Eric Lawrenson, producer of Cap Times Podcasts. Today, we're bringing you a conversation called How Can a Classical Theater Company Tell More Diverse Stories? This year, American Players Theater in Spring Green will feature performances of the August Wilson play Fences as part of its 2019 season. Earlier this week, Lindsay Christians, the food editor of the Cap Times, gathered a panel of actors, scholars, and theater directors to talk about the work of Wilson and what it means to meaningfully pursue diversity and inclusion in theater in 2019. The Mount Zion Baptist Church on Madison's South Side hosted the talk on Wednesday night. Take a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. Works a lot of and so, so jumping off point for that. 
the Cat Fund is going to be talking more about representation on stage with regard to disability, neurodiversity, non-binary and trans actors, and people of color on September 14th at the ODFS. So we're going to continue this conversation in different ways in September. Um, basically, this is an ongoing conversation. There's tons of ideas about how to best tell stories that are inclusive. It's all part of this bigger picture. Um, I would imagine that tonight we are going to have more questions than answers. And that is something that I just want to be really open to and hope we can embrace. That's my little question. So, I, the inspiration for this panel came from conversations that I had last summer and earlier this year with Gavin Lawrence at the end. Gavin was born in the Caribbean and has spent much of his career performing plays by African and African American playwrights when he decided to accept APT offer to be in the core company. He had to really consider the value and the cost of spending five or six months out of the year doing plays that are not about the culture that he loves. So again, I wanted to open today with you and ask if you could talk more about that process of consideration and what the experience has been like for you at APT so far these past few seasons, what's been most fulfilling for you and what's been most challenging. Well, uh, first of all, my daughter's name is Tasia. Okay. Okay. It's okay. It means radiance in Hindi. All good. Most people don't know that. Um, four years at American Players, uh, those four years have reminded me why I chose to pursue this art form for a living. Uh, because at no other theater where I've worked in this country have I found the kind of support kind of belief in the integrity of the work uh, and a willingness by uh, the artistic and administrative leadership to give the actors whatever they need so that they can do their best jobs. Okay, so there's that. Also, we find around the country that a lot of artistic directors are proposing to create more diversity within their companies and they're getting all kinds of grants and monies to do that, but they aren't really doing it. Bringing in one black play or play by a writer of color per season is not diversifying. It's focused. American Players Theater, on the other hand, is looking to not just bring in a black play per season, but they're looking to create a company of actors and theater professionals, as well as an audience that represents the evolving America that we are all part of. And in no other theater around this country, and I have, as you said, worked for over 30 years in professional theater, nobody else is doing that. That's my passion. I am an artist who happens to be a man of color. And the things that I'm passionate about have to do with my people, have to do with my children, have to do with them seeing their images reflected back to them. And not many places are looking to do that so that at the end of the day we can connect on just not a cultural or racial level, but ultimately on a human level. And I really feel that the women who lead APT are boldly stepping into that realm uh, in a way that I haven't seen anyone else. So despite the fact that APT is known as classical theater, and unfortunately that is an that has become a misnomer when we associate classical theater with white writers, white plays, white men. Classical theater started in ancient Egypt before Alexander the so-called Great took it. Right? So classical theater is just that. Titan, poetic, dense language that challenges an audience but ultimately gives us all uh, an opportunity to connect on a human level. And I find that APT is, 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 is seeking that doggedly. And so despite the fact that I'm one of the few, and by the way, this year we have more artists of color at American Players Theater than ever, so that's an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, I, yeah, I believe in where APT is going. And so despite the fact that, you know, I am a black, I love my culture, I love our food, I love our music, I love our rhythm, I love the way we talk, okay? Uh, and there's room for that on the APT stage, and Brenda is willing to invest in what it takes to bring that to the stage. So that's why I chose.
American Force Theater focuses on language, as you just mentioned. Um, Brenda, I wanted you to sort of address how the specific poetic language of August Wilson is a different kind of challenge for this company compared to Shakespeare or other classical works, and how APT supports that work so that we can kind of stage and on stage. Well, I thank you. Again, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that I know very little about August Wilson was as a theater goer, and um, I saw and sought out every one of his plays that I could see professionally when I was visiting places um, to see work. And every time I left, I had to kind of quietly think to myself without sharing it that at the time I thought, um, this is about I thought that that was uh, a piece of possession of something that wasn't mine. To admit that, um, I knew that the actors that were great at it had a way of being inside it that I likened to, uh, in my knowledge at the time, to Shakespearean actors who were working on Shakespeare. It was the kind of um, doggedness and the kind of understanding that the language is the framework of the character that, uh, that took them and these words in a specific order with a lot put that word right next to that word, and then repeated that word again, a little differently there. And I started to understand that, that the, the requirement to be great at that wasn't just something that um, every, I'm sorry, and I'm going to say things that are probably inappropriate, but they are not intended to be so, but I, that not every black actor was interested in doing that, not every black actor was interested in being in those plays. And when I finally got to my point in uh, being an artistic director and saying to myself, we do classical theater. We do language-based, dense poetic texts. And Peter Dan Hawkins said this today. We talked to each other immediately about the poets that are in America, American poets. And immediately, the first and foremost, who I think maybe not 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 an African American great playwright, but a great American playwright, like potentially in a hundred years considered the greatest American playwright. Because of the universality that I felt walking out of my first time of seeing an office of play where I thought, that's about me. And the same way that I hope people experience plays on the hill, classical plays on the hill, classical traditional plays on the hill, and think that that man in the or that woman Beatrice or that Mr. Mercedes guy play on the on the, on the holy ground, <laughs> but that we see ourselves in those places, and I actually believe that storytelling makes us larger. So it makes sense that the farther away someone is from us, if we are truly there to listen and open and expand on his mind, the farther away that person's experience, seemingly farther away, and the closer we find ourselves to that person, this this is the power of theater, the expansion, the gulf we perceive being closed in by the actors and words on stage that move us to understanding something that seems so far away. So it's a no-brainer, and it's actually um, too late. It should never be too late. Too early. It should never be too late. It's too late to have started this work, potentially, in my head. Like, so we should have started this a long time ago, but we started now, and we believe that it requires great actors to do this work. So in order to have great actors, we need to spend the and be in our company or work in our company, um, it requires for a person of color a very different set of commitments than it does just any of our Caucasian white actors. I mean, it's a very different commitment for, in consideration, for Gavin to move to a town of 1600 and um, live six months of one's life there. That is not a small gesture of, of, of a small gesture. Of generosity. That is a commitment to a lifestyle of being an other in a town that is very much about, I know where your son's car was last night where I was out in front of that girl's house, which is how my kids grew up. Like, literally, to know everything about each other and then to be able to be identified just by being seen as someone who must be other. And I don't, could never experience that. We'll never know what that looks like. But it's my job and our job to teach you identify that, how we welcome and make people feel at home so they feel secure and able to 
do their best work is our work. So as hard as it is, always going to work in APT for everyone. We didn't know how much harder it could be. And that is our privilege speaking. So we are really interested in knowing what people need from their perspective and what's in the interim. So when we step into a play like the Scottish play and the cast is made up of multiple people from multiple places and multiple cultures, gender switching, we really, 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 really have to work as a people in charge of that power to ask the questions that actually make people able to speak into them, what it is they're experiencing. Because the plays we do, like the Scottish play and Hoffman, are, are inherently inequitable for people of color to do. We are asking them to come to a place where an actor is, their sole purpose is to become someone else. You make that them and them that, that character. And now we just had an incredibly complicated layer to that process. But yes, this wasn't written for you. It wasn't written with you in mind. So, be authentic. And as Gavin, my good friend, said, I'd like to teach a class where all the kids that are the African-American kids and the Latinx kids and the kids that are coming to work with us are taking on Shakespeare. I'd like to have them all get down the process. And I think that that kind of process of trying to begin to understand what it is to feel distance from something that you want to be authentic inside of the extra work that takes. So our job again is to create a safe space in the rehearsal process where those conversations can be had so people can feel whole and engaged. Thank you. Uh, just to remind everybody, Mike, uh, right over here in the back, and Chris, both have cards if you need to ask questions and that's a Just a reminder. I do a little background research with my history here, and you've done so many artist roles and plays that I actually stopped counting. Um, and I saw that in one interview you referred to them as mountains. And I was just hoping that you could talk a little bit about the process of, of working on this person and maybe some revelations that you've had, you know, working with his work for you know, so many years, so many times. Um, do you approach these plays in a specific kind of way? Do you, have you learned things from them about, you know, about life, but also yourself as, a, as an artist? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, now, first, uh, uh, as far as my office, um, I think the office of the same was share a slice of life that I think is play representing a specific decade. So my understanding of the people that he's writing about are people who are constantly uh, being challenged to climb mountains. Um, and you can't climb a mountain unless you feel yourself to climb a mountain. Uh, so they're, they're incredible journeys to take, uh, very important stories to tell, uh, a huge sense of responsibility uh, in telling these stories um, because they are the stories of my ancestors. Um, so um, there's a huge responsibility in that. I can't remember everything. Um, but um, I, I've done quite a few, and what I, and I, I said it on the very first day, um, that what I discovered with Troy and with many other characters is that I am this, I am this man. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a specificity, we talk about that a lot, uh, to the writing that can only uh, help someone like you, uh, a woman of your own background, or you find an end into the story. And it can only happen if it's true and specific to who we are and who he's writing. So once we do that, you can see us go through our struggle, and you recognize it as a struggle, a struggle as a color. But you see, you find yourself able to find an end into a play where you can say, that's my mother on stage. Because if you, you, because basically, I mean, we're driven by language. Language, first of all, the soundtrack of a life. You know, it's the one thing that we all share. Music. Language is music. Language has lyrics. On it. And once we do that, and we all acknowledge it as that, then we can all perceive the same thing the same way, specifically to who I am, to who you are. And I think that's one of the beauties of, of 
about you and find a way to understand it from my point of view so that it's not about color. It's about people, about language. It's about the, the struggles and trials of our lives. Now, those trials and tribulations may be different, but we all understand basically what trials and tribulations are. So, as humans, we get that. So, if we find a way to connect, we find a way to share the experience on stage, uh, and all these different areas. Are you coming at this story differently than you have in the past? Like when you played the part in the past? Yeah, different directions. So there's different, um, um, a, a different way that he wants to approach certain things. Um, uh, but ultimately, in Ron Cordy Parsons, where he's playing, and ultimately, if you are working for the same thing, it doesn't matter the challenges. Because uh, if the question, when the question, where the turn, when in doubt, what do you do? You go to the Bible. You go to the book. When in doubt. You say, hey, man, can I get that over there? <laughs> Don't give me the start preaching. Um, but it's the same thing as, 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 a, as an actor. It, it's our Bible. The text is our Bible. When in doubt, what is the author's intent? And then that's what, what we basically go what is the intent? And if you're working with someone who is going for the same thing, then that's what we really need to have over time. Because we're all, then we're really creating something together. And it's the kind of thing that makes you go when it's over that Bible. I don't understand because we did this. And, you know, and you can find it all on your job. You know, you play sports. You know, we all go through that thing where once we share a common thing with others, and we become one unit. Man, magic happens. When that happens, and it happens nowhere. I mean, it doesn't, it never, it doesn't happen anywhere like it does on stage, but it happens everywhere. And we all understand that. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a question for Patrick. Uh, I make you follow that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, you've done work with Beautiful cocktail social awareness for a long time. And as I was thinking about these, these questions for tonight, I was thinking about how the conversations with PJ and my students, um, and how even like when I went to school in 2006, I mean, it was 10 plus years ago now, it's got to look really different. And, and the discussions about what is McKinney and what is classical theater, um, and who gets, to, who gets to tell these stories, whose stories are in time. Um, those kinds of things are changing. And so I'm, just, I'm hoping you can kind of reflect a little bit on what kind of things you're seeing in beautiful cultural social awareness. I think I should give some context as to what yes. the beautiful cultural <laughs> social awareness is. Um, when I arrived here in Madison in 2004, I was brought in to start a program called The Theater for Culture and Social Awareness at TCSA for sure. And the premise of this effort was designed to address what I refer to as sensitive subject matters, i.e., race relations, sexual orientation gender, power, privilege, all the fun things we love to have conversations about, but we don't necessarily have the safe space to engage in dialogue around these issues. And so, early on, I thought about my own lived experience, my sort of example of one, being from the south side of Chicago, uh, moving from an area where literally I was one of the silicon brown children, black boys, black girls, to be in an environment where we were the first ever so if you know the play Raising the Sun, I live that experience to certain While Lorraine Hansberry had her turn and actually took it all the way to the Supreme Court, um, our next door neighbor was the president of the Riverdale Children's Association. And when we moved in for the first day, that's when she told her mother that the time that we were home. But as for seven years, the next day was, um, after some of us know, you know, Regularly doing all the things that would be routine for other neighbors, uh, and this woman was a bit elderly. I became a surrogate son, right? And I often joke and say, when I got ready to go off to college, um, she sent better care packages than my mom did. And when I was, you know, looking to get married and he wanted to be the fiance, I had to make sure that she met my my wife to be. Uh, I share those stories as, as the backdrop 
see the power of what theater can do. And the name suggests all theater for cultural and social awareness. So much of what we wrestle with sort of evolved from this sort of political environment, I mean, political in a small piece of uh, The idea of representation, or the lack thereof for such communities, is critical. And so when you have voices like August Wilson, or Susan Lori Parks, or, uh, you know, you can go through a list of amazing artists, playwrights, storytellers, who have captured the experience of their people, right? And yet, those experiences don't reach the masses, or they don't reach the masses the way they have potential to. That in and of itself is a tremendous benefit. And so, what we're trying to do with the theater for cultural social awareness at the University of Wisconsin Madison is to address that political dynamic in ways that inform not only those who have been deprived of understanding what it means to play mama in a raising sun. You know, one of the things I often did as an acting instructor. Is I would have all the women play and be one of the models and models in the ocean front, whether you're white or not, didn't matter. Um, and we would talk about the fact that, you know, the, the women who portrayed those roles during the scenes they were in wouldn't necessarily act in those roles. But having that experience of mouthing those words and having the human experience that informs that character's journey, that in and of itself is the point of entry that I think everyone. Regardless of your background, and appreciate you know that walk a mile in my shoes. Those are the kinds of things or ways we enter the conversations with the theater for cultural social awareness. And in part, that's what the theater does. It enables us to understand another person's lived experience. And by understanding that lived experience, we come to appreciate, maybe not always agree, but appreciate their perspective on why that character or individual is doing the things the way they do, right? And then so engaging in that process, not only do you learn about the other individual, you also learn a lot about yourself, right? And so that's the magic of what the theater does, and that's why I developed that program, because I, I use the actor's journey as a metaphor for understanding and enhancing our own knowledge around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what we can do within our own spheres of influence to try and address the capital P political environment that puts us in situations where you're seeing social injustice, you're seeing economic deprivement that's impacting only one community or a handful of communities where other communities, sort of similarly so isolated, having all the access, power, and influence needs, etc. So having that conversation, unpacking those pieces, and doing so in an environment where everyone brings their full self to bear. You know, I'm not going to date myself, but uh, I'll just say, I haven't had that experience in any other art form but the theater. And the theater has always been that point of entry to engage these complex, nuanced issues. So that's the story I'm sticking to. <laughs> Thank you. Gavin, in your playwriting part, you said that you're really passionate about presenting African American men in a different context than you usually see. I wonder if that carries over into playing characters of an historical cast of actors. What you think, uh, I wonder also what you think directors and actors need to consider when putting a black man or woman in a historically white role, particularly in some of the predominantly white audience. This could apply to black characters written by white playwrights. I think context is very important. I think you cannot. The idea of colorblind casting is an illusion. We see color. We don't not see color. You may see other things, but let's be real. You see me playing Hamlet on stage. You see a black actor playing Hamlet in this right? That's my belief, and that's one of the things August Wilson believed also, was that... Uh, the act of pretending to be something other than what we are is a fallacy. You can never really succeed in that. So when I am cast in a play that was written by a white playwright in a role that was originally intended to be played by a white actor, I have that conversation with every director. Okay? So if this character traditionally wore a lot of jewelry and bling, uh, but you're asking me to play that role, 
And we need to look at what that means in a contemporary context when you see the only black man on stage wearing a bunch of jewelry. Am I a pimp? I mean, really. So it's important. I'm not saying that we as human beings cannot get to the human connection. Because going back to what you were saying earlier, the human connection was what brought me into theater in the first place, right? I saw a play when I was seven years old on PBS that made me for the first time realize that I wasn't alone after what had been a really tricky time, right? So my being a black actor in a play that was not written for me is clearly a, a, a conversation that needs to be had, and then we need to understand the relationship that I'm having with the other characters on stage because I am not one of those actors. And there's some who believe that you can just disappear in another role and the people don't see you as a black person in that role. I personally disagree with that. So I think that conversation is important to have. And I think it's important to, if you're going to go there, putting a black actor in this role or putting a black theme or a theme that's specific to people of color, whether it be immigration or deportation or whatever. If you're going to go there, you got to go all the way or don't go there at all. And so I have a problem when um, directors ask people of color just to make it look diverse, but refuse to deal with who those people are and the history or history they bring to the table. So that's the thing, one of the pieces that I think is speaking to, we don't often do it, it's enormously white from a dark culture. And that escapes us because it's everywhere, at least in America, it's quite a part of the conversation to what I know to be true in the United States. And when you disrupt it, you have to be challenged the way Brenda is so great with doing it earlier today, um, it's easy. Um, that can create a sense of discomfort, right? Um, because it has ripple effects that affect the bottom line. But not people want to go see a show where you have African Americans playing a lead in Romeo and Juliet, right? Uh, so these pieces and how we unpack those pieces are so important. It's important that we do an environment that sets people up for success. It's about naming the same language. It's simply about owning what the reality is for some of us. There are ways in which we have to carry ourselves, live in this world that others would never get touched earlier with Gavin, making this great place to be here, to commit to the art form that's put in place, where I'll speak for myself, I finally got used to it, but there's more black radio station. Right? You know, very simple things like where I go to get my hair done, you know. Um, you know, those are things that we have to worry about. Uh, but some of my majority colleagues, white colleagues, those are not the things that are before their lives so it's acknowledging that there's a lived experience that's quite different from someone else and using that as sort of a level of to create a space where we're all engaging in conversation, understanding the uniqueness of each and every one of us over there. So I hear that loud and clear and I agree with it. But I think that it also goes back to what I said, walking around in other men's shoes because we are past the age of, well, that's not my story, so I'm not that interested. Because uh, the, the, the waters are getting higher and the ridge along the coast are degraded because of the water. It's, it's getting higher. It's affecting all of us. You know, and we're a bit of denial that we will accept that. There's nothing wrong with it because that's part of your responsibility as an audience member is to step into it and be a part of it. You know, and some people don't want to do that. That's fine. But you're missing out on yourself. So, I've had three conversations now. That are in each one of them, as I learned. Um, and the last conversation about the idea that uh, things are changing. Um, a lot of changing. just is going to change, and if we are not going to be interested in being relevant, then we don't need to change. And we think that the answer is to keep something the same, which is never going to stay the same. If you haven't noticed, my husband isn't growing anymore. So, I mean, things are going to change, right? And and the idea that 
when I got into a deeper conversation with folks who were willing to talk to me, really trying to get to what the change was. Really. Like, what is so different? You know, theater's been rebuilt. Really nice place why, why are we talking about this now? And if we keep reading down, like we're doing the same thing, we have great points. We've always done great points. Let's talk about a couple of those bad places. Too many husbands. Terrible. Okay. Yeah, we all enjoyed it. It was funny, but let's be honest, not a great play. But we didn't ask the question about why we doing, why that was changing. Was, and I really, really want to say out loud in public that when we really keep asking and digging down and keep asking it for the people who are different, people have always had We've always had a, a third of that half of our company is new every year. It's always had new people. Just keep going, keep going with the conversation. It comes down to the people who are different from this is my well-meaning and I, I, people not even aware of what it was they were actually seeing that was making them feel like things were changing. And I just wanted to say that that's the, that, that is the first step to us actually acknowledging something that is. Just to say, if you want to come along, don't come along, but, but this is what's different. And this this you should look at why that's kind of so I do have a musical question. Um, it is not uncommon for regional theaters, particularly regional professional theaters, to want to diversify, you know, in, in whatever way the, the stories that they're telling, the, the actors they're casting. Um, but to me, I, I feel like there's a lot of conversation around the difference between being a well-meaning really white person and anti-racist. But there's a distinction there. And so, I know from conversations, but you know, surface level diversity is not what it is at the time. So, how are we doing that? Um, how to be a true anti racist with long term investment in real sustainable change versus, you know, well meaning? And what is it that you learned as the company takes these deliberate steps in trying to have a more diverse you know, class? have a more diverse creative team. Um, I was thinking about if there's ever been a black or black director this year. Um, and if that's a goal. Um, so this, yeah. yeah, I think that we don't do anything very surface ABT. And I don't think that there's people, no one that I know is working there and is committed themselves to working there for any surface reason. It's way too hard. That gig is way too and, and I think if somebody's surfacing something, we certainly figure that out pretty quickly. So the idea of having a surface approach to something intentionally or to try to avoid something is just, I, I just want to say from my perspective, not in the DNA of the place. But knowing the difference between for yourself being well-intentioned, well-meaning, and an anti-racist is the very first step. Like, trying to figure out what that means for real, like, as a white person really looking at that question and saying, wait, there's nobody that cares more and is harder working than me. How could you possibly have a problem with me, Gavin? I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. Do you know how hard I'm trying? Do you know how much I feel? Have you met me? Yes, and I'm crying, and I'm crying. And he knows I care, right? That's why he's in the room with me. But he's not going to say, oh, I feel so bad for you. He's never, ever going to let me off the hook on that. He'll check me and see how I'm doing. He's my friend and my, my partner and my colleague, but he's never going to let me think that this is about me. The burden of what it takes to be a, an African American or a Latinx actor or a, a, disability, a disabled actor, a person that has to be outside of what is the normal that we've all created, which is white, able bodied, cisgendered, period. I mean, that's the norm. History is white people history, fashion is white fashion. Music, I mean, music. I'm sorry, but, um, um, but I'm just saying that it's about being white and then there's the other part. So the difference between understanding that is the first step to actually being anti-racist. From my experience, and that, is a, that is overwhelming. That is upsetting. First time I was called a white supremacist, I was out of my mind. I think you didn't want to talk about that. I think it was a big you are home. 
to the people and say, no. I know. Leave. Not my problem. But the burden I put on other people to explain that to me is also something that we as white people do not ever really acknowledge until we learn that that's actually something that's not very fair. So where do we learn? Where do we go? Well, there's lots of ways to do that. So lots of ways to learn, and we know how to read, and we know there are things available to us. So I just say that, that part of our job at ABT is to distinguish very first and distinguish between well-meaning and yeah, I guess I'm going to say something. Please go ahead. I'll talk about So, race. Race. Right? We're so scared of that conversation. I mean, come on. Even those of us, especially those of us who feel really well-intentioned, we don't want to be called on our own privilege. And I find that there's this mistaken belief that because it's art, and that it's theater, and it's sensitive people who are tolerant and left of center, that they cannot also be guilty of white privilege and racism. So, and they're, they're not immune to it, right? So before we can, and that's what's so courageous about what I think APT is doing, is that as a nation, we have yet to willingly and openly and honestly and vulnerably have a conversation about the legacy of slavery and how free labor on the backs of our ancestors is what made this country the most powerful nation on earth. And so a lot of times when I bring up race, people get tight because they somehow feel like I'm, it's, it's a threat to their existence, it's a threat to their sense of who they are, security, and for me at times, whether they want to admit it or not, superiority. So, for a theater of human beings who happen to live in this country like all you all, for a theater to be willing to look at itself in the mirror and endure Gavin saying, before I was even hired, why haven't you done an August Wilson play? It's ridiculous, you're a classical theater, how can you not know that this is classical writing? And be willing to take the hit and still come back with uh, a fresh willingness to embrace that conversation. That's why I'm at APT. And that's what APT is. This is not a promo. This is actually the truth. Okay? It's a good promo. No, it's promos. And so to, to be led by these amazing women who are willing to look in the mirror, be called on their own stuff, revisit, go back to the drawing board, try to make it right, fail, let's make it, someone said don't use the word fail, learn, and then grow, and then come back at it again. That's a great thing. That's a great thing for any of us in any walk of life, in any uh, career or uh, practice to strive for. And for me, not just as an artist, but just as a human being who happens to be the father of an African-American male and African-American female, this is what I want to be a part of because I feel like I'm leaving, starting to pave the way and leave something that is more than the burden of our people and our history. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, I, I'm going to kind of go in between audience questions and some of the ones that have been here. But we've had a couple questions from the audience about audience, about who's here. And about who usually goes to ABT events. Um, and so basically, there's a question you know, who's the people that may come. ABT has worked really hard to do fine works of black players and welcoming actors, but the black community is a huge challenge. And so the question is is it cast the culture? How do we get the attention of black audiences? And also, is that a consideration in terms of like moving forward and trying to? So you said earlier about context matters. So if you think about the role of black church, right, and family, and community, what folks may experience when they go to the ABT play comes to this place on a Sunday morning, right? The sort of soul enriching spirit. Uplifting environment that often happens. You know, I'll just go on a limb and say we take that for granted. So we take that for granted. You know how to take that wherever we 
priority. But I, again, I go back to the political context. It takes resources, right, to get to the It takes resources to purchase the tickets. It takes resources to be exposed to the arts while you're in school. It takes resources to make sure the students have the opportunity to engage in the arts. If you think about the teacher's health system, not something on the soapbox, but I am an individual, right? Uh, the art form, as we now know it, isn't taught in high schools anymore. It's the rare occasion that a high school or, dare I say, a junior high school will actually expose students to plays. And I remember the first time I saw an August Wilson visit the Goodman Theater with two trains running. Rossell Lee Brown was in the room, and Eric LaSalle. That was indelible on me, that experience. It was my white theater instructor that took me to that play. Because he knew there was something in me that actually blossomed as my career and as I grew up in that moment. Those variables are always lurking in the background. So we can, you know, sort of look out at this place. I was joking uh, with Pastor Allen earlier. I said, oh, I don't know why people get in the mountain. But uh, glad to see you all in here. Uh, but that is a result, I think, of a political dynamic that has other ramifications until you sort of unpeel the whole onion. If you don't go, you got to go there. Until you unpeel that entire onion, then and only then you get to understand that there are other points of view that engage in these kinds of conversations. It's not that folks don't want to. They do it all the time. And in some ways, you probably do it more than twice. Well, I do think that it is great to start conversating. I know Randall Dick Kent, who founded the Theater Center, is like for everyone. Everyone can find an entry point to it if it was something that they were open to. And I think that that's not paraphrasing his intent. Um, by putting it in the home now and thinking they will come. I say, you put it, you build it, you work really hard, you stay vigilant, you sacrifice and you do good work, they will come. And I think that that's always been the motto of ABT, but it does not mean that it is a place that everyone wants to come to. I want everyone to want to come to it. I really want everyone to want to be at ABT and want everyone to love Shakespeare. Not everyone's going to. But that shouldn't be because of the color of someone's skin. And that shouldn't be because we didn't do everything to make it accessible to people to appreciate something that we believe has very value, inherent value in understanding who we are as humans, that poetry helps us understand ourselves like music. And so that shouldn't be the result of it. So what we have to do and what we're trying to do, and it is baby steps and it is um, because of people willing to take on the Tuesday night off and come here and speak to you all and reach out and, and find partners who will help us ask people how they can be welcomed to our theater, how they'd like to be welcomed, what they'd like to see, what would make it easier, how can we make that happen. And I think doing great work, and I feel good to say I think we do consistently very good work, um, is the first most important thing. And then how do we become accessible, how do we invite and I also think we need to just get into the black communities. I feel like APT and a lot of business leaders potentially have not done that. Yes, we're the black church. Not a lot of black folks here tonight. We need to come here for service. We need to come here when the folks are here and do that kind of engagement so that we can let them be aware of it. And I'm, I am more than willing to do that, and I feel like APT is also. But like Brenda said, you have to be about it. Uh, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. And, uh, for, and I'm working in the repertory theater since 1990. And for years, there's always been questions about how we get African Americans into the theater. Well, they had this one marketing person. And uh, this particular city's neighborhood of places by an African American writer. So she went to churches and invited them to that place. She had never been to the church. She didn't invite them to the other place. She invited them to that place. And what I told her was that, look, you, you don't go on a date and get to second or third base on the first time out. You can't show up. You can't show up and offer me dinner. You, you have to woo me. That's first your friend. I must be wooed. Um, and you have to woo audience. You have to teach them that we want you to come and embrace theater. Period. Just invite them to the August Wilson play. You have to invite them to the Scottish play. 
you have to that you have to share this entire experience with them when you reach out to, to try to get people to your theater. I, I yes, and I, I want to just add to that that like I have high school students. My kids are in high school. My daughter would come to play some friends from Madison West, and they think she's like, I can't bring my friends to Spanish. People of color up there. I mean, their lives, young people, there's not a lot of young people in this room either. I want to talk about that. Their lives are a very different than our lives. Their exposure, their interests, their expected expectations about what the world is and what it should be are very different than ours. And it is imperative that we, we are listening to that. And part of that is that we, like, we can, without being afraid or ashamed, to say, please, everyone comes to talk about it. Everyone comes to talk about we, we are working very hard to make those plays be so everyone can come and see them and experience them and find themselves in those plays. Because there are limited dollars for arts for children in school. So, and now there's, I mean, when I, was a, when I was a kid, you had four television channels, and maybe there was a play here and there. But now there's so much outreach, so many things to do, and they have to pick and choose, what am I going to send my kids to? And sometimes teachers who are so overworked, okay, where can I take my kids where I can get a nap? What, what can I send them to? And they can get an enriched experience, and I can take a break as cheaply as possible because of our funds alone. So, uh, and, and children, you know, the Bible is about to lead us. Our children teach us so much, you know, and lots of times we develop our friendships through our children. Lots of times our children guide us to what it is that they want to do, and we have to give them an opportunity to do this. So we have to take it. And going into the schools, teaching audience members who may not be audience members at 20, but because I was an audience member at 8, I'm going to be an audience member at 25. So, uh, just for the record, as, as a point of clarity, the Scottish play is my Yeah, sorry about that. I was being very sure. It's fine. I, I, I wasn't sure, but everybody knew that. So, just to make it clear. Um, there was a, a question here about the uh, Wilson Century Cycle and whether EPT might be willing to commit to doing all of it over the course of many years. Um, and it sort of goes along with the question that I had as well. I got kind of excited thinking about it. So, having a friend, especially after Brother Seconds, which is just so gorgeous. Um, but also, when that is, I think it's one of the seconds in these playwrights. And I wonder, um, just from the point of view, like what kind of place you said, Basically, places to open the door to them. How big is this for a park? How many people are in this park? Big is my park. So, this is the only one there's another grad for us. As this diamond directed professor towards us, the mint should be blooming. And that was the appropriate way to describe that. And her talk about poetry, language, you can hear the play, have one experience. Read the same play and have an entirely different experience of what you use the words on the printed page. It's just brilliant. But I mean, you just grab off some other stuff. 